I want to talk to you tonight about something a little different about the word no. You know, it's a word we don't like to hear sometimes. And um, if you've walked with God very long and done very much, you will hear that word once in a while. And I'm not talking about when you're doing something wrong or it's sin or something that's illegal, immoral, unethical. But once in a while, you'll have it in your heart to do something. And God says, no. You know, there's a mission trip. It came a few years ago, and I've always wanted to go to Africa, go on safari. There's some guys coming to the gun store every year. They're from there and show me pictures and tell me all about it. Well, I'd like to do that. And then with this Kenya thing, I thought, well, maybe that's what I'll do instead. So I prayed about it. No was the answer I got. Just like, okay, okay, not for me. But just because God says no, that's not because he doesn't like you or love you or wish you to do something, you know. We can't all go to Kenya or Honduras or whatever, but we can all participate one way or another, giving or whatever, praying. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. You know, the old saying, sometimes when God closes one door, he opens another. And um, I want to look at an example in the scriptures when there was a godly man who had wanted to do something for God. And God said, no, that's not for you to do. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Or 7. 1 Chronicles 7. It's about King David. I did remember my glasses this time. It is 17. Excuse me. 1 Chronicles 17. This is right after David has brought the ark back to Jerusalem. It had been um, captured by the Philistines a while back and had come to Israel and stayed out. And they tried to move it once improperly. And um, was it Uzzah? The man touched it and he died. And um, so it kind of set out there. David finally gotten the word enough to know how they're supposed to do it. You know, the Levite's supposed to carry it. And they did everything right and they brought it into Jerusalem. And David had danced before it, you know, and Michael was upset and all that mess. But this is the next chapter. So David is sitting in his home. He's, he's moved his capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. He's built Jerusalem up, the capital of Israel. He's united the whole kingdom. He's built himself a fine cedar home, and he's sitting there thinking, God's stuff is out in a tent. You know, here I am in a fine home, and God's stuff, the Ark of the Covenant, is out there in a tent. So look here at verse 1. Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. It had been about 400 years before when um, God gave Moses the instruction to build the tabernacle. They'd moved all through the wilderness for 40 years, conquered the promised land, came on into Israel. And David had built a tabernacle. I don't know if he used any of the parts from the old tabernacle or not, but if he had, they'd have been... 400 years old. It may have been kind of ratty. We don't know. But the thing is, David is wanting to do something for God. David is grateful. He's thankful. He sees that God has blessed him and he wants to bless God. And he looks around and he thinks, this is something I can do. I can build, build God a temple and put the Ark of the Covenant in there. Then Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart for God is with you. Now, Nathan was a little quick here. He misspoke. And sometimes we'll get bad advice from good godly people. 
If you speak, make certain that you speak for God. You know, if you're going to tell somebody, because this was a good thing. I remember years ago, I started to enter into this thing and friends were telling me, this is what you need to do. My spiritual advisors were telling me, this is what you need to do. This is a good thing. This is God. You need to go for this. And I did. And I got into it and realized, warning signs. This is not what God for has for me. And I backed out. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, but it's not for me. That's God's told me. Leave it alone. It was a good thing. Won't get into the details, but I had to let it go. And it bothered me for years. I'm like, Lord, if you laid that on my heart to do that, why did I get into it? And then you shut the door afterwards. And one day I heard Chuck Swindoll preach on it. And we'll get into that later, the, the answer to that. But um, it's good to desire to do things for God and with God. But sometimes it's not your place. It's not your time, whatever. So God didn't let Nathan go very long. Look here in verse 3. But it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. That's no. You're not going to do it. It's not for you to do. And if you look here in the verses, for time's sake, we won't read all of these. But um, God says basically in the next few verses, I haven't asked you to do this. I haven't asked anybody to do this. It's not what I desire for you to do. And he, he comforts David and says, you know, I'm going to build a place for the people to worship. I have a place and establish them as a country. I'm, and as a, as a shepherd, that's what David wants to hear as a king. Because David has gone from being the shepherd of his earthly father's sheep to be the shepherd of his heavenly father's sheep. He's got that shepherd's heart. So that's something that God's addressing here. But if you look down here in um, verse 10, about halfway in, God says, you're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you one. He says, furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house and it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I'll set up your seed after you who will be one of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. Now it's kind of a dual prophecy here. He shall build me a house. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away for, from him, as I took it from him who was before you, at Saul. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. What he's talking about there are two things. One, Solomon is going to build the house. It's going to be David's son. The one that's going to have the kingdom forever will be David's descendant, Jesus. It's two things. And there's, if you look over in, um, I believe it's 1 Samuel, there's a parallel passage of this. And there's some other verses that are added in there. It talks about the iniquity being placed upon him. Um, Peter talks about later, it pictures the crucifixion, the resurrections picked there, all this prophecy. And all the things that you know about the throne of David, the house of David, um, the lineage of David, it comes from right here. God makes a covenant with David. All those things arise out of this. What's important to watch here in these next few verses as we get into it is David's response 
David has just been told no to something he wanted to do. You know, maybe you want to do something for God. Maybe there's something in ministry you want to do. Maybe there's some work you want to do. And God says, no. Well, your heart condition is so important to how you respond to that. Because we're going to get to see David as such a good example of how he responded to that. And how he's seen that even though God said no, God said yes to far greater stuff for David. If we look through scriptures, there's lots of people that are told no. Starting in Genesis, you have Adam and Eve. They're told no. You can't stay in my garden anymore. Get out. You look at Moses. God told him no. You can't eat the promised land. He told David here, no. Um, you look at Jesus in the garden. He, he was praying, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. It wasn't. But you see the response of Jesus, which was great. Was He prayed, but not my will, but thine be done. And you look at the Apostle Paul. You know, He was out on his first missionary journey. He was wanting to go north up into Asia. And the Holy Spirit said, no. He said, well, I'll go southwest down to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says, no. Well, just west of Israel is nothing but water. So he's about out of directions. And that was when he had the Macedonian call, had the dream. That's to the northwest. And that's when Paul went to Macedonia. So even though God says no, you need to be looking for what is he saying yes to? If you look here in these things, where these verses we read, it says, I will be his father, he shall be my son, I will not take my mercy away from him. And I will establish him in my house, my kingdom forever, his throne shall be established forever. These are prophecies of Jesus. Look with me over to Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. This is part of the we're familiar with this at Christmas. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon, will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward and even forever. Look over in Luke, part of the Christmas story still. Luke chapter 1. If you don't want to turn, we're just going to hit these verses and run. Just trying to show you that this passage for all these prophecies about Jesus. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 to 33. He will be great and be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And the first time Peter, Peter got up to preach in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, he continues on this theme. Acts chapter 2, verse 29, Peter says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. That he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, speaking of David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him 
that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, that be one of his physical descendants, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. David wanted to build a house for God, and God said, no, but I'm going to build you a house. And what an honor that is when God comes to David and says, you are going to have a physical descendant that is going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. David recognizes that, and he sees that. If you look down here in these verses, um, it says, verse 15, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So David's been told no. Look at his response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? He is overwhelmed that God has chosen him to be in the lineage of the Messiah and that his throne, the throne of David, will be the very throne that Jesus sits on forever and ever. You don't see him pouting. You don't see him resentful. You don't see him angry. You don't see him second-guessing God. And there's listed ten times, I believe, David lists right through here, I am your servant. I am your servant. I am your servant. And starting here in verse 22, 23, and this is how we should pray. When we pray to God, all we're praying to him is, Lord, do the things that you've said in your word that you would do. Terry spoke about this morning about healing. Yeah. Pray it. Take God's word and turn it back to him and say, Lord, this is your promises. Do what you said you'd do. David says, and now, Lord, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever and do as you have said. So let it be established that your name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God is Israel, is Israel's God. Let the house of your servant David be established before you. And if you look down here in verse 26, here's one of the important things to remember. And David says, and now, Lord, you are God. That's the thing to remember, because newsflash. There's only one God in this universe who's in charge, and you ain't him. You know, he has things that we can't comprehend in ways we don't understand. If you look at Job, and Job asked God all these questions, and um, he was wanting to be able to plead his case before God. It's in my notes here somewhere. Job 38, 1-2. Basically, he, God says, Who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? Stand up like a man, and I'm going to ask you some questions. God's basically saying, Job, put on your big boy pants, stand up like a man. You've been demanding of me, now I'm going to ask you some questions. And God basically asked him 72 questions about the universe that God had created. Not about God, but just what Job could see. Questions Job can't answer. If Job can't answer questions about what he can see, who is he to question somebody he cannot see? Whose ways are higher than his? And But David recognizes that. He says, you are God. And I am just a shepherd boy from Bethlehem that you have blessed and brought in to be the king over this people. 
And David says in verse 27, Now he had been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue to be before you forever. For you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. David just giving back to God the words that God had spoke to him and asking him, saying, you confirm it, you do it, you accomplish it, I believe you. You don't see any resentments, resentment or bitterness or poutiness on David's part. He's just overwhelmed that God has chosen to use him the way he's going to. One thing that I want us to look at, um, kind of a side note, sometimes we try to figure out God and ask him why. Try to figure out this and try to figure out that. And I'll ask you a question here. If you were going to have somebody build God a king, a, a tabernacle, wouldn't you think it would be King David? Man after God's own heart. The one that brought back worship to Israel. The one who wrote all the Psalms. Or you think God would choose some pagan king of a heathen country to build God a temple. We'd all say, well, it'd be David. You'd be wrong. Look with me next. Take a right here. David got to help with this temple, but David didn't get to build it. I want you to go to the first chapter of Ezra. Just go to through Chronicles and stop. Ezra's the next book. Look in chapter 1. If you're trying to reason things out, this will blow your little pea brain. Because this don't make sense. This was about 400 years later. The Babylonians have came and they've destroyed Jerusalem. Took down the wall. They destroyed the, the temple that Solomon had built. They were carried off into Babylon in captivity. About three generations later, the Medes and Persians come and they overtake the Babylonians. And this is that king, a godless, as far as we know, pagan king. And look what he says. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kings of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, how would you like to be King David reading that mess? You're like, I'm the king. I'm a man after God's own heart. I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel. I can't do it. 400 years later, this guy comes along and God tells him, yes. Don't try to figure out God. Just go by faith and do what he's told you. Now, Cyrus didn't get to build it. But Cyrus did start all that process. He sent the, the Jews back home in several different ways. He gave them money. He helped get it started. Ezra went back. And Nehemiah went back and built the wall. Ezra started building the temple. But... um. That don't compute. God tells David no. He tells Cyrus yes. How would you like to, to be in that spot? You know, you want to do something here in the church. And you're, you've, you're told no. And somebody else is told yes. Yeah. 
Some of that stuff don't make sense. God doesn't ask us to understand and make sense of it all. He just asks us to obey. Is that right or wrong? And sometimes that's tough. You just swallow the bullet and you go on. You bite the bullet and you do what you got to do. But you've got to understand God has a purpose for you. Maybe he doesn't want you to do this, but he wants you to do that. And you have to weigh it out. What you've got to weigh out is, do I want to have my way and my desires and what I want more than I want the will of God for my life? You know, I haven't rehearsed this with Jeff. I'm going to pick on him. I love my brother back there. Jeff, can you sing in public? I could. But do, do you? No. All right. Do you play a musical instrument? Yes. Do you play it in public much? No. Okay. Now, let me ask you another question, church, or worship team. Is Jeff a vital part of this worship team? Yes. So if, if he was to go to Tanya and say, I want to sing a song, and he sings, and Tanya says, Jeff, you can't carry a tune in a bucket. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeff has his place. God has something for Jeff to do. You know. That's what we have to get to sometimes and just say, I want to do what God has for me to do. David was told, no, he couldn't build the temple. But David said, I'm going to do all God will allow me. So he made preparations for the temple. He gathered iron. He gathered bronze. He got the cedars of Lebanon. And if you look over here, 1 Chronicles chapter 22, just back up a little bit. First Chronicles 22, verse 14, it says, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver. Some of you may have a a better version. That is um, 3,775 tons of gold. Not pounds, tons. If I did my math right, that's $379 trillion. Yeah. And he says, in 1 million talents of silver, that's 37,000 tons of silver. That's $40 trillion in today's money. Yeah, he went to considerable trouble. <laughs> yeah, you know. He didn't spare it. It says, um, in bronze and iron beyond measure, for it was so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stone cutters, and all types of skillful men for every kind of work. Of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. He's talking to Solomon. Yeah, it's 379 million. There's no budget to build that building. Donnie's probably never had a building like that where there's no budget. Just build it, you know. So, you know, David was told no, but David did what he could do. And David did the other stuff that God had commanded him. Um, I talked earlier about having something in your heart and God saying no. And how do you how do you deal with that? Maybe you started into something, you know, and, and God says, no. How do you handle that? And you think, I had good intentions. And this was a good thing. 
Look over here at 1 Kings chapter 8. This will be Solomon speaking. You have to back up. 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse 17. This is Solomon's speak, speech. I mean, the, the temple's been completed and, and Solomon is speaking. David has passed away. Verse 17, it says, Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. That's the important thing to remember. You did well that it was in your heart. God is pleased. God looks at your heart. He doesn't look at so much what you do. He looks at your heart. And Solomon is speaking for David here and for God and saying, God was pleased that it was in David's heart to build him a temple. That made God glad, even though it wasn't David's place to build the temple. God wanted the temple built in a time of peace. By a man of peace. David wasn't given an answer in Chronicles at the time that we know of. But later God told David, I don't want you to build the temple because you've been a man of war and you've shed much blood. He wanted the temple, the house to be a peaceful place built by a man of peace. And that gave me consolation years ago when I heard that, when I went into that thing and it fell apart and I pulled the plug on it. And I'm wondering, why did God let me do that? Why did he give me that desire? And then it's like when Chuck Sawindal was talking, it was like, God was pleased that was in your heart to do that. That's a good thing. That's not a negative thing. So if you have something in your heart to do and you attempt it and God says no, well, just look around. There's probably another door. Go through that door and it'll be better than the one you would have chosen. I've got... um. One more verse, and we're going to close. Y'all probably know this verse. It's uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. If the praise and worship team wants to come on back up, y'all turn over Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of y'all know this verse. Stand up. We'll read it together. says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God has for us. His no's may come, but they're in his perfect plan. They're in his best plan for your life. Accept God's no's and go on with it and be proud that you have had a heart and a desire to please the Lord, whatever it was. But just understand that he is God and his plans are better than anything we could ever expect from our own selves. Brother Terry.